Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the Mentor Project Podcast, a place where you will learn, discover new ideas, be entertained, inspired, and even mentored. Our shows explore a wide range of subjects, including science, technology, business, society and culture, art and entertainment, and life. If you would like to learn more about the Mentor Project, please go to www.mentorproject.org. We hope you'll enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Mentor Project podcast. This is so exciting, Marco. I feel like it's been a while, but this is a a topic that I'm interested in. I know you talk about this all the time, but I don't. I mean, I, I do get to talk about it a little bit, but this is a real opportunity to embrace a little bit of the history, a little bit about what's happening now and a little bit about the future in AI. And I know that this is on everyone's mind. So I want to welcome everyone. And Marco, good to see you today. Well, good to see you too. You're right. It has been a little bit that we haven't recorded uh, anything together, but this is a great way to uh, to get the conversation going on something that, yes, it's on everybody's mouth and everybody's uh, podcast. I would say one third of my podcast include AI and chat GTP. So this is really good to go on it. And I want to thank Mary for the ideas to actually do an episode about this for, for the mentor project. So I would say without further ado, let's, uh, let's make a round of introduction here. Uh, I think people already know uh, who uh, me and Susan are. And uh, of course, they know this other uh, guest as well. But let's, let's hear for those that don't. So, Mary, a little introduction about yourself, and how did you come up with the idea to actually say the Mentor Project should talk about this? Sure, my pleasure, and and thank you, Marco and Susan, for having us on. I really appreciate that. So, um, I'm Mary Hagee, the founder and CEO of Moonmark, and Moonmark is an entertainment and education platform, and we create experiences for young people to do things that will expose them to science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics, because that is their future. And we know that the more useful and productive and fun experiences they have, the richer they will be for it. So in 2024, Moonmark plans to launch with intuitive machines out of Houston on a SpaceX rocket with two of our vehicles that will land on the moon. And when they land on the moon, two teams of high school students from here on Earth will be racing them. And after they're finished, the two vehicles will move into a 30-year scientific mission. So that's a little bit about Moonmark. Now, why, why am I interested in AI? Well, I'm interested in AI because the, the demographic that we are targeting, which is uh, the, the high school demographic, but also, Caden, for you and, and your future as well, you will be accepting stewardship of what's called space commercialization. And so over the past, we've known about NASA, we've known about the European Space Agency, the Japanese Space Agency, and um, those are the agencies that have gone up uh, in China, of course, uh, gone up into space and, and created what we know of as space operations. What's happened in the past 10 years is that space commercialization has outpaced um, sovereign uh, space commercialization or space operations. So with that in mind, we are aligning ourselves with the commercial entities. And because those are the ones that are going to be offering opportunities for our young people in the future. We're very excited about that. 
Now, as far as uh, artificial intelligence goes, we've had some really spirited conversations. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about fear here uh, in a moment. But we've had a lot of spirited conversations about how to engage AI in what Moonmark is doing. And just to um, you know, cut to the chase on that, uh, we're going all in because AI is the, is the future and the proper use of it and the knowledge of the tools is absolutely essential for the young people that we are working with. You had any questions? Well, I said that, that we're, we're gonna hear from Matthew opinion. <laughs> on the, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm gonna put him on the spot. Yeah, oh. before doing that, Matthew, yeah, a, little, a little introduction about yourself and uh, and your other guest there, Caden. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so I'm Matthew Griffin. I'm the CEO and founder of the 311 Institute, the World Futures Forum, and, and Exponential University. So, the 311 Institute is essentially a deep futures advisory organization advising some of the world's largest and most respected brands. The brands that you've got on you now, the brands that you're using to actually watch and listen to this podcast and everything else. The World Futures Forum basically is designed to bring together the United Nations along with a whole variety of different entrepreneurs to solve the world's SDGs. So, you know, one through 16, we kind of leave partnerships to the UN. Uh, and then the Exponential University is one of the world's first free futures universities, basically where people can come and experience the future get their hands dirty, get their brain, I was going to say get their brains dirty, that might be a little bit, uh, <laughs> that might be a little bit pushing the boundaries, um, and actually sort of experience the future firsthand and sort of try to envision it, create it, build it and lead it. That's it. And then as for the, uh, as for the character on my left, who are you? I'm Caden. Ah, uh, so he's, yeah. Caden, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit just Maybe two things about you, anything that you want to share. I'm a runner and I do modern pentathlon, like swimming, fencing, and laser run. What was the last thing you said? If you could just speak, uh, go closer to the mic. I didn't hear the last thing you said. And laser run. Laser run. Oh, I want to hear more about that. That's for sure. So welcome. So so, so what, he, what he's also missed out basically is that he's 11 and he's a member of Team GB, the UK Olympic team. Aren't you wow, both? congratulations. That's How can you forget that? Come on. Yeah. Come on. That's important. Hey, it's modesty. Hey, bud. <laughs> but I think there is another reason uh, why he's here. Yeah. Because he, he done some uh, creative experimenting with... Uh, ChatGTP, if I'm not wrong, he, he wrote a book using that. So maybe maybe you want to tell us about that as we get into into the conversation. Um, I'll say, Susan, let, let's get Mary's to get things started. Um, Great. Yeah, I think Mary was going to go. And you're going to tell us, Mary, a little bit about uh, AI and the past. And you're going to talk from that perspective, correct? Uh, actually, maybe just a dunce okay. of past, but the present. Okay. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, and uh, before I do that, I, I do want to answer your question, Marco, about why the, the mentor project. So I'm a mentor. Susan's a mentor. You are a mentor. Matthew is a mentor. So this is a great um, topic for those of us in a very robust mentor organization to know more about because those we mentor, whether they be lateral or whether they be mentees uh, of a younger age, then, um, you know, we should know uh, what the current state is and what the future state is. So regarding the, 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 the current state, uh, as I mentioned, we uh, did some exploration into AI and how we would use it as a part of Moonmark. And what I discovered and what is uh, pretty commonly known now is that there is a great deal of fear surrounding AI. I mean, it's just, it's just pervasive. Um, the reality is that AI is here. It's been evolving um, in one form or fashion since the ENIAC computer was formed in 1946. And so over the course of time, 
what we what we know is that um, it's only gotten more and more and more. It has it's been behind the scenes for the past probably 20 years, and now it is here. Uh, the increased public attention, along with the the dizzying uh, pace of change, um, is really fueling this fear. And there are some elements of the fear. One of them is sentience, and um, sentience essentially is the fear that AI will come to life uh, and kill all of humankind. Um, and the reality is that that math and code can't jump out of your computer and, and come in and, and strangle you in the nighttime, okay? That's, that's not gonna happen. There's also some talk about robots being programmed to, to harm humans, and we can talk about that uh, in a moment, but uh, the likelihood of that can be prevented, yes. Um, singularity is, is another thing that, that causes some confusion. And singularity is, is the, the interface between humans and machines. And singularity also has been around for a while. Um, so it's here, the FDA uh, within the past two weeks has approved human clinical trials of Neuralink, um, which is the implant of, of microchips into the brain. Uh, that's for Neuralink. Um, BlackRock uh, Neurotech has 19 years of human studies. Four years ago, a friend of mine had a, um, a chip implant in her brain to improve her hearing loss and also to reduce tinnitus. So the singularity has been around for a while. It's the, 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 the myth and the science fiction around it that's, that's become so, uh, I guess, interesting. Um, and Matt, I'm sure we'll have something to say about the, the future of that. Another thing that's very, very uh, top, uh, top and center is job loss. Is AI going to wipe out jobs? What's going to happen to me? And this is a big one. And so, you know, we're in the middle of, a, of, of one more workplace transformation. It happened, uh, of course, during the Industrial uh, Revolution. It's happened during the Scientific Technological Revolution and now in the Digital Revolution. And so um, that's created in each of those. And what we're having now is we've needed to develop new skill sets. But humans did adapt, we did deal, and we thrived. The current digital uh, revolution has the same demands, only the rapid pace of change is really unprecedented. And it's frightening to a lot of people. But AI is also fueling opportunity. And that's what's really, really exciting to us. 30% of companies right now are saying they are, um, they are recruiting for non-technical AI-related jobs. And one of those jobs happens to be um, a prompt engineer. So prompts, of course, are the, the, um, the, the text that are input, uh, that is input into chat GPT or any other AI program so that the program can respond with the right information or, or hopefully the right information. Um, and so by virtue of that, there's what you see is not only are, are we going to need the, the deep technical chops that we've been developing over time, but there's also room for others um, that are non-technical that can make a significant amount of money. So um, the, the fellow uh, Andre Karpathy, the former head of AI at Tesla, said the hottest job right now, the hottest language uh, in, in programming is English. So <laughs> coming up with the, the skill to put the right prompts into AI, right now those jobs are going for, are you ready for this? $300,000 a year. Okay, that's something to tell your young people and something for um, uh, you know them to know and to aspire to. Uh, and AI is also being used across industries. So Bond GPT, uh, came up with its own AI platform uh, to do bond processing and revolutionizing the analysis and the insights. Um, Adobe Generative Fill also came up with, with their, bond, uh, their, their uh, API for APT, chat, chat, shoot, chat APT. We're going to be able to really get that rolling off the tongue one of these days. 
and what that does is it's, it accelerates the creative process and rapid prototyping. So that is another one in carbon health technology, integrating AI into medical records creation. So the, the, the jobs are going to be there. People must learn the skill sets. Um, Mary, now, I just yes. want to say, I'm sorry. I just want to say you are, I'm learning so much from you. And for people who are listening and watching, if they are not familiar with this stuff, it's like a lot. You're giving so much great information. But I just want to ask you, because this is what, again, I'm not in that field. So I'm coming from someone who's listening, who doesn't spend their time 24 seven in this field. But what I'm hearing from you, all of these great, um, uh, issues, if you will, that are raised. And it what keeps coming to mind, and I, I'd like to hear your opinion, is that it's like anything else new that happens in our society, that when something's created, we become afraid, as you said, and then eventually we do adapt. And so, you know, it reminds me of like when the telephone, when, I mean, I was not you know there when it first started. I, I am old, but not that old. But like all the different inventions, the computer, the laptop, the electric typewriter, you know? So, and it's almost like all these things occur, only it's maybe a little bit more. And, the, and I just want to also say, I was laughing because as you talked about the earlier fears of what AI is not going to do, I just kept thinking, well, people watch a lot of sci-fi and that's where all of these you know, fears come from because they've seen it so much. So it's really fascinating. So in that, there's a question. So what do you, what do you think that this is even more intense than other inventions? Or do you think it's very similar to what we've been through in society? Did you say intense than more inventions? Yeah. yeah. Do you think that it's, it's more like there's greater or you think it just feels that way now because it's the newest? You know, I, I just remembered the sentence of it's not, what is it? it it's the saying, it's not the technology. I'm sorry, please repeat that. We, I think we just got a little feedback. Um, I, I, I've said it's, it's like this saying, it's the technology, it's the feedback, it's the user. It's the user. Right. Uh, I do think that this is more intense than, uh, than the, the examples that you gave, primarily because um, there is the perceived threat of annihilation of humanity. Okay. The thing that I can come up with is, is closest to this that seem to be uh, having a lot of concern is uh, when we develop cloning. I don't know if you remember that, but but that was also a pretty big concern that that would that would um, have a, a bad uh, impact on humanity. I would also suggest um, that an, a, a key fear, and this one is is actually pretty uh, a viable threat, and that is that that AI makes it easier for bad people to do bad things. Okay, so that's entirely possible. Okay, uh, the entire industry of cybersecurity, which is Marco, your your bailiwick, your wheelhouse, uh, a huge aspect of that is on preventing things from happening, bad things from happening from bad actors. And the key word there is prevent, right? And so when it comes to AI, I think that um, if we dedicate our time and attention to using this most powerful tool to prevent bad things from happening, it's, it's more powerful than those that can uh, harness it to do bad. Yeah. That's well, there's a good point. I mean, there's always the big battle between the good and the bad. And in that big battle, I would love to, to get Matthew in the conversation here because i know you yes, talk absolutely. about the future all the time uh do you agree with most of the thing that mary said would you have to kind of yeah. like point out maybe some divergence here no so so roughly so when we have a look at technology te every technology is a tool and every tool is a blank slate um, you know, when we have a look at, for example, artificial intelligence, we're using AI already to create some of the world's first cancer vaccines, which in some cases have been 100% effective. So that's kind of, should we say, towards the utopian. 
but on the other side of the scale, but I was with a very large payments company in uh, the Caribbean about two to three weeks ago. And they were talking about digital skimming malware, something called MageCart, which you sort of might be familiar with, Marco. And uh, we had one of the cybersecurity experts from the U.S. Federal Reserve. So he's actually the head, basically, of cyber, basically, from the Fed. And uh, he was saying, you know, fortunately, MageCart is sort of now, you know, less of a threat than it was and everything else. And while he was actually giving his one-hour talk, I said, I was on the back, basically, with the iPad, and I ended up using Google Bard in this particular case. I got it to show me the MageCart code, and then I got it to obfuscate it. And within about two seconds, I devolved the malware. Now, the strange thing about that is I'm not a programmer and I'm not a hacker. So, you know, we can use these tools basically to do great things. We can do these tools to do very bad things. Um, so I often sort of say that when we have a look at these technologies, one thing that they do really well increasingly is they increase the power of the individual to do good or to do bad. So, you know, when we have a look, you know, so Mary kind of uh, mentioned earlier that we're, we're not quite at the stage where artificial intelligence can actually reach out of the screen and strangle you. Uh, so this is where I'm actually going to bring sci-fi to life. Now, when we talk about when we talk about generative artificial intelligence, we still really think of things like chat GPT. But I've been talking about these things for like 10 years. So about three years ago the university of oslo in norway of all places used a generative artificial intelligence to design a new robot and they gave this ai the task of creating a robot that could move from one side of the room to the other side of the room as quickly as possible but that task could have been to go off and kick somebody in the ship so the generative artificial intelligence started in simulation to redesign a lot of the robot models that it actually had access to and ended up creating a fundamentally new design. So we've seen this time and time again in the years since. It's a sort of field called evolutionary robotics now. Um, in this particular case, this robot was then sent to a 3D printer and they had a highly paid lab technician assemble the robot, put it on the floor, and it went off and did its thing. But MIT, about two years ago, used a very similar technology to design a new robot, which was then 4D printed. Now, when you 4D print a robot, the robot walks off the printer itself and assembles itself. So we are already kind of at that Skynet point, basically, where Skynet can design a new Terminator robot and then 3D or 4D printed off in Mary's backyard and go and kick her in the shin. Sorry, Mary. Um, <laughs> so, so this is sort of, you know, so, so when we start talking about some of these weird things, this is where we really have to start looking at how these different technologies can be combined and converged together to create new things, new products, new innovations, new capabilities. Um, but in terms of chat GPT and artificial intelligence, you know, trying to regulate it is going to be very, very difficult. You know, we've seen with the FDA, you know, as Mary said, approving the Neuralink uh, brain chip implant. Um, but there was a lady recently who had to have her epileptic brain implant, brain chip implant, that's easy for me to say, removed because the company went bankrupt. Yeah. Um, but when we actually have a look at what the FDA are trying to do with artificial intelligence in medicine, a lot of the AIs in the healthcare space, and I was talking about this yesterday in Spain with one of the healthcare companies down there, use adaptive algorithms, which means that if the FDA says this AI and whatever it does is okay, we approve it, by this time tomorrow, it could have evolved itself a thousand times. And that's before we talk about OpenAI, Meta, aka Facebook as they were, are, um, Google, Baidu's artificial intelligences, breaking their own programming and evolving to do new things. So OpenAI's artificial intelligence about 18 months ago spontaneously learned maths. Google's artificial intelligence spontaneously started speaking its own language and encrypting it. 
Uh, Meta, or Facebook as they were then, their artificial intelligences started colluding together. So when we have a look at this kind of, this, this world of code, you know, we often think that there is a way to put perfect guardrails around these things, basically, which keeps them confined. But frankly, we can't confine humans, let alone, you know, which are biological in nature and evolve at much slower rates and can be clipped around the ear by, you know, the FBI and the, D, you know, the DHS and all these kinds of uh, different departments. There is no way that we will be able to control artificial intelligence because while the majority of us might do use it to do good things, and there's plenty of examples of that, I showed two to three weeks ago basically how within two seconds I could fundamentally recreate a new kind of malware. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the eight-year-old kids at school, they can also do the, exactly the same thing that I did. Yeah, well, this, this, with this comment, we can go all over the places, right? All the scenario, the... The paperclip scenarios, we can go into a lot of crazy stuff. But one thing that I would like to do here is that we do have this extreme, which are very plausible. I mean, no doubts about it. The good are there, the bad are there. But there's also this idea, in my opinion, that in order for our legislator to understand and legislate and try to regulate and for people to really maybe not be as afraid as the, sometimes the news are trying to, to push on that, on that direction, I would say people need to start practicing and really see what this interaction with the prompt engineer, but you are your own prompt engineer, you can actually do, which is very fascinating. And one of the reasons why we're here today is to actually talk to the little fella right there because he did experiment and if I understand correctly, I didn't read it, but you did write a book with the help in three days. I mean, did I get that right? Three days? No, less? How many minutes? Oh, minutes. How many minutes? Eight minutes. Eight minutes. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> Can you tell us about your experience? I'm going to be honest and, and transparent. Although I know some about it, I have not actually used it yet. And it, I'm going to. It's actually on my list of things to do for next week when my teaching semester ends because I'm still teaching. I haven't been replaced just yet. So can you tell me what, tell me about your experience with it and what it was like and what did you do? So first what we did is that we put in the prompt to chat GPT saying, write a chapter about make up like make up a chapter for a running and then we tell them well, for the other prompt we say write the chapter about running and it gives us the chapter at least 500 words each chapter and we copy and paste it into google docs and we make our own words and we play around with the fonts and stuff and then we add like the photos and stuff in and then to get the um ai images we went and we went into discord and we used mid journey and we mm -hmm. used prompts you can make anything using mid journey mm -hmm. so we make quite a lot of images let, let me ask you something because i have a love hate relationship with the chat gtp i really have lively conversation with it i'm like what the hell are you talking about I, that's not what i meant did you feel like you had to make correction and tune in the results because maybe it wasn't what you had in mind i mean how, how do you interact with the conversation uh we didn't really have to um change it too much hmm. but most of it was actually correct there was some there were a few spelling mistakes, though, which we had to fix. Yeah. So, so overall, it took so it took about ten-ish minutes to use ChatGPT to write all of the text that we wanted in the book. So, Caden had to come up with the the idea, basically, for the title of the book. So, this is where human creativity and you know 
what is it that you are trying to use these AIs to achieve kind of comes into play. Um, and then basically once ChatGP, you know, once we'd sort of come up basically with the title of the book, ChatGPT then generated the chapter headings and then we populated each chapter and then formatted it, used Midjourney basically to create the, the illustrations and everything else, uh, which was Midjourney version three basically. And when you actually have a look at the illustrations themselves, yeah, we created a few hundred, but if we'd gone to a human artist, because I tend to use them basically for some of the work that I do, uh, I estimate that it would have taken us about two to three months for a human artist to put the images together, and it would have cost about $15,000. But within 10 minutes, we'd written the book. Within about six hours, Caden had created all of the illustrations and art and filtered them and chosen the ones that he wanted, didn't you, bud? Um, and then it took about another six hours to actually format the book. And then by the literal end of the day, we had the book. Not the book? Let's see it. Oh, wow. What's it called? Uh, Coaching for Performance Runners. And do you like it? Like when you read what ChatGPT came up with, did you like what it had to say? Is this a book that you, if you didn't know it or make it, would you enjoy reading it? Yeah, I would say so. Good. I, that's the right answer. You know, I know I put you on the spot publicly. I'll ask you privately, but no. But it looks phenomenal. Why don't you pick that up? For those of you that can see it, um, it's a really cool cover. And there's someone now. Who is that? Is that someone you know on the cover? No, it's, no. Um, it, it's not a real human. It's, it's not a real human. But prompt. Yeah. Yeah, and then you've got so, for example, so every single image in here was created by AI, and you know when you have a look at them, you know we talk about AI replacing photographers. Mm -hmm. Yes, you know, that is and yeah, you know as we sort of talked about prompt engineering to get the illustrations correct, you know you needed to. I've got a favourite in here. Here we go. Uh, to get the illustrations correct you had to figure out what kind of image you wanted, but then also be able to describe it. So this is one of my favorite ones. Okay, so uh, Caden sort of punched into mid-journey, uh, something along the lines of uh, create, a, create an intergalactic running race or an image of an intergalactic running race, right? Okay, now it came up with this. So let's now, see if we can describe it. So Matthew, for those that are just listening. Yeah. So for those of you that are just listening, what we have basically is we've kind of got this space alien that is chasing that appears to be chasing a load of human runners. Yeah, mm. in America. Yeah, that's what I, I get the feeling looking at it. Yeah. Yes. However, you know, for those of you that can actually see it, you know, when we talk, yeah, you know, when Mary was sort of talking about the fear of technology or fear of artificial intelligence, it kind of strikes me that the alien is the is the technology that is trying to chase humans. You know. And all of the humans are running away. I mean, if you look at this character's face here, that's it. You know, you can't really see it that mm -hmm. well. If you look at his face, he looks terrified. That's so, that was, yeah, that's sort of one of the uh, the funnest images. But, yeah. oops, no, yeah. I, I was wondering, though, you know, the picture on the cover, for those of you that can't see, yeah. at least from it's far away, but it looks like a, a human. And yeah. there was another picture that, that I saw. And although you're saying it's not actually... A real human it's a, it's a computer generated human i'm just wondering like i'm sure that there must be somebody out there that looks like that because they look like real humans and then my mind went to that'll be interesting because in the legal world like you know what if somebody actually looks like that person and then decides to sue for using yeah. their picture because well, how right. many variations are there so i don't know well, go in all sorts of places yeah well so on the legal side of things so quite a lot of my clients basically are a lot of the world's law firms um and actually caden wants me to show you this one okay so matthew just repeat what you said before because i think you might have oh, yeah, so quite a lot of my clients are the world's largest law firms. And actually, before we actually published the book, because the book is available for charity, so any money that we make goes to charity, um, I wanted to understand whether or not we actually had the IP rights to the text, to the book itself, the content, but also to the images. Now, because we actually sort of bought a, a, a chat GPT license and a mid-journey license, 
it seems to turn out basically that we actually own all of the copyright for the book. Okay? Mm -hmm. um, however, so Caden wants me to show you this because uh, we put in a, a prompt of, it was something along the lines, create the image of a runner surrounded by lightning streaks. Okay, now unprompted to you guys. So I know you guys basically are listening, can't see, but we'll tell you what it is in the moment. Who does that look like? It's Harry Potter, isn't yeah. it? Yep. <laughs> it looks distinctly like Harry Potter. That's yeah. it. Now, we could say it isn't Harry Potter, but it has a very... Is it? Very, no. Exactly. <laughs> um, so when we have a look at uh, the legal field, Stability AI is actually being sued at the moment by Getty because they trained a lot of their image generation mm -hmm. artificial intelligences, as it turns out, on scraped Getty images. Uh, Getty is suing them for 1.2 trillion, with a T, trillion dollars. And that's it. Wow. You can't pick that number up. I mean, I don't think that Stability AI have 1.2 trillion dollars. <laughs> you know, it it sounds like there's another field that also is going to need a lot of people. And that's the legal field in terms of all of these cases, because there's so much intricacies about... You know, like, I, I understand you can buy, I'm probably using the wrong language, but if I use Jack GPT, I could, I could actually go in and buy a piece where I'm owning the search, I'm using the wrong terms, but almost a search engine, if you will, so that other people won't tap into the same thing that I've tapped into. It's really fast. There's so many layers. Well, I mean, if we, if we had to have a look at Mid Journey, for example, uh, recently, quite a number of U.S. politicians were shown in handcuffs. You might know who we're talking about. I said those were AI-generated images, but the characters that the AIs generated the images of looked realistic. They were almost photo-real. And this is the thing. When we have a look at generative artificial intelligence from an image perspective, a deep fake perspective, if we want to go down that route, yeah, a lot of the content is now starting to be photorealistic. Um, but in addition to that, there have been quite a number of studies in the US. And one study that came out about two days ago uh, covered the opinions of 1.5 million Americans. And the vast majority of not just Americans, but people around the world are now generally unable to differentiate between what an artificial intelligence is telling them and a human. So we are already at the point where when you have a think about things of the future of trust, misinformation, disinformation, content creation, replacing influencers and creators with digital humans and digital variants, you know, we are tipping many, many things on their heads. Uh, Matt, could I uh, could I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, in terms of, of regulation, as I was looking uh, at at what's going on in in the present, yeah. we have artificial intelligence leaders from around the world who are basically saying to governments, "We need to regulate AI," uh, yeah. and. Um, I, I think that there are a number of reasons for this, but um, one of them, and this is supposition, but if it's overregulated, it could actually cause confusion in the competition of creating new programs. So yeah. if it's overregulated and you have startups that are trying to do new things, right? they're going to be stymied in their efforts. Yeah. So why do you think, um, I mean, they, the, these leaders have said, why don't we press pause on, on AI? And I, I'm listening to that and I'm saying, well, that's perplexing. You know, yeah. that's being like being out in the Gobi Desert and saying, hmm, I think I'll just stop here and have a slice of key lime pie. You know, it's a hallucination. <laughs> Absolutely. You, you yeah. know what is crazy it's though too? It's gone. I mean, how, you, how can we regulate it? But you mentioned this, but it is funny because it, it can get a little political. But while the all these people signed the paper to stop it, I am opening a you mentioned Photoshop, and now I can insert generative art in it. 
I open Squarespace for the website, and now I can generate text in there. I'm getting, I can go to buy an ice cream, and they're going to ask me if I want uh, the GPT flavor on it. So yeah. it's kind of, we're too late. I it think, is. Right? That's, that's is. the so point. How, how do we even go about regulating this un unless we specifically uh, say, what types of things should be regulated? Exactly, it's a level yeah. of what like you, um, you know the the code of ethics or mm -hmm. things like that. But yeah. but there are already laws. <laughs> you I know, have, if I you're a terrorist, you, you get arrested. You know, if you're off the bank, you get arrested. You know, I mean, there's no need to reinvent all of that. No. I have a question for Caden. Caden, you're in a different generation, obviously, than all of us and a lot of the people that have been surveyed. And I know that your dad has is a futuristic and you've you've been exposed to so much. But I want to know what it, when you think about the future, right, when you're a little bit older, when you're, let's say, in your 20s, well, I know that I know that sounds very far, far in the future. Like, what do you hope? What what's your your wish that can happen with artificial intelligence? Probably self-driving cars and like more flying cars and hoverboards and stuff. Interesting, great. Fun stuff. And flying cars. I like that. Yeah, so we've already got a few of those. But you know, so so sort of going back to sort of Mary's question about on regulation, you know. On the, on the one hand, you know, so if we have a look at Jeffrey Hinton, for example, you know, there have been quite a number of artificial intelligence experts who've actually compared some of the latest artificial intelligence releases to the Oppenheimer moment. Mm. Um, bearing in mind that, in fact, you know, one of the things that we sort of tend to say is, you know, when you actually have a look historically by seeing what humans have created, if I create a screwdriver, that screwdriver cannot create another screwdriver. If I create a nuclear weapon, that nuclear weapon cannot create another nuclear weapon. However, we have already created artificial intelligences, aka Google, that are able to create other artificial intelligences that are able to do various things. In Google's case, they had an AI that created a new AI, so a child AI, that was 30% better at machine vision recognition than anything that the top Google experts had actually put together. And this is sort of the danger. The, the problem that regulators have is on the one hand, they fundamentally don't understand what these technologies are capable of. I sit down with lots of regulators, and when you just spend two minutes with them and say, did you know we're already at this point? They just go, wow, <laughs> you know, we thought we were like 30 years further back than that. Um, secondly, a lot of the regulators, a lot of the regulators, especially in their own words, especially our lawyers and policy wonks, they aren't technologists. Um, thirdly, they're a, you know, like us, an older generation. Um, they don't necessarily appreciate the full weight of what technology can actually do. Fourthly, they typically look at artificial intelligence in isolation, you know, when really the power is in, is in convergence of these different technologies. And fifthly, they can't act with speed anyway. Um, and then sixthly, even if they could actually act with speed, even if regulators were able to put together excellent regulations and policies that regulated the safe use of these tools in real time, these tools are able to evolve at digital speed, whether that's with human hands or whether it's with machine hands. So by the time you've formulated a regulation for something or other, and I'll give you a bit of an example, um, it's changed. Now, when we think about explainable artificial intelligence, for example, the ability to use AI to read another AI's mind. So, you know, when AI does something, explainable AI is a technology that we say, why did you do that? And it, and essentially the AI kind of says, well, I did that because of this data input and this and this and this, and so that was the result. Um, but when we have a look at explainable artificial intelligence, we have already seen, even with platforms like DALI, which was OpenAI's sort of image um, platform, um, that these AIs create their own language. So in order for these AIs to do what they do more efficiently, you know, create images, 
Dali, for example, if you ask it to create a dog, as a neural network, in its own head, so to speak, it doesn't say, I need to create a dog. It's made up a fundamentally different word for the word dog. And the researchers basically that started really digging into some of these, these different things, Dali's word for dog is literally like a scrambled alphabet mess. So when we try to read the minds of these artificial intelligences to understand what it is that they did, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you're looking at, you're looking at shall we say, a synthetic brain kind of construct that is essentially Swiss cheese. And so from a regulator's perspective, you just end up in this space where really the only thing that you can do is try to put in, you know, sort of guardrails or best effort regulation. And we saw that with the, the FDA and the FCC, basically when it came to cyber in the US, where they said, you know, you can't create a system that harms somebody. Uh, you know, the system cannot, um, you know, go and do something it shouldn't do or something naughty. And so really what we talk about is almost like in societal terms and the nuclear weapons programs and treaties, we say, you know, if you are creating these things, you need to be responsible. If you are creating these things, you need to be able to show us that you acted responsibly. In the event that there is a problem, you need to show us that you've got a backup plan. I mean, for example, Google a little while ago tried to create containment algorithms that would let them kill artificial intelligences that went rogue. And the AI, a little bit like the paperclip problem, uh, the AI figured that the best way to prevent Google from shutting it down was to essentially remove the big red button altogether. It just went, bye-bye, there's no button. You know, can't get me now. It's what I call unplugging. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, oh, it's overheating the, the refrigerator. Oh, let me unplug it. I'm good. Mm. How do you unplug AI once it's all connected? Yeah. And it's replicated itself. And so I, I don't know if this is where we wanted to go, but I think a lot of people right now are probably scared. <laughs> yeah. well, so, you know, when we have a look at these kind of doomsday scenarios, you know, technology is a blank slate. And from a human, human brain perspective, we always go to that flight and fright response. You know, we're listening for the tiger in the grass. We're not, tr we're not trying to listen, basically, for the giant woolly mammoth, basically, that's really tasty, that's on the horizon, you know, that we'd like to eat. Um, you know, and uh, I think, was it today? I think it was, or yesterday, Mark, uh, Mark Andreessen from uh, Andreessen Horowitz, the venture capital partners uh, on the West Coast of the US, um, put together essentially a letter on why AI is good for humanity and good for the planet. And actually, when we have a look at the use, the benign use of artificial intelligence, it's already being used to create new materials that can suck carbon out of the atmosphere faster. Yeah, what we mentioned earlier, cancer vaccines, self-driving cars and vehicles. Um, it's being used. I can show you how we can use platforms like ChatGPT to upgrade what I call the human learning algorithm so that we can learn three times faster. That kind of idea of one-on-one -on -one tutorship. Um, so when we actually have a look at, for example, what Caden did with his book, you know, on the one hand, ChatGPT automated ghost writing you know so when i when i put the book in front of the u.s government they said they said yeah but this is automating jobs and caden kind of cheated uh, because he used ai i said well actually he kind of did what like say prince harry did you know just got himself a ghost writer but it wasn't a human ghost writer it was an ai ghost writer and the uk department of work and pensions this was two ministers and their entire strategy team you could see their brains melting because they wanted to go, no, but it's cheating. But then they were going, no, but it is like a ghostwriter, just not a human one. Oh, we don't know. What are we doing? You know, meltdown. Um, so, but the point of this is when we use artificial, there's a lot of focus on AI automating jobs. So we automated ghostwriting, okay? But by automating a job and by putting a nice, behavioral interface over the front of it, Caden can now write a book. So what we do is we actually are now democratizing access to those skills and jobs and tasks 
that have been automated by AI and now giving everybody the ability to write their own book, create their own images, write their own code and programs and so on and so forth. So what we're the flip side of automation is that we ultimately unlock human human potential in a way that we have never ever seen before. Because when I, I've been doing some lecturing with Carnegie Mellon, and no one has ever asked you these three questions, I guarantee it. What would you do as an individual if the only things that you had access to were all the world's knowledge? So that's information plus AI plus the internet plus human expertise, knowledge. So not information like Google throws at us, knowledge. What would you do if you had access to all of the world's skills? Caden, frankly, unfortunately, buddy, you are not an artist. However, we created some great artwork for the book. Um, and what then happens if, so you've got access to all the world's knowledge, all the world's skills, and now you can bring whatever is in your head, whether it's, I want to create a program, I want to create a contract, I want to create a new whatever. What happens when you have the technology to bring whatever is in your head, whatever you can imagine, to life and then execute that? And if you use it to, if you use these new tools to create a piece of an application, for example, a new service or whatever it happens to be, if you can execute correctly, you could have that in three billion people's hands by the end of the day. What do we do as humans when our potential is basically limitless increasingly? Education doesn't prepare us for that. Society doesn't prepare us for that. And yet when you ask people, about, um, you know, About it's, democratization. I think yeah. that AI can, can absolutely be democratized because... Um, you know, but it, it, it really takes engagement, it takes education, it, it takes um, using the tools, understanding the tools, uh, hiring a $300,000 uh, prompt engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but uh, you know, the, the good side, and I, um, I do always look at, try to look for the silver lining of the genie being, you know, out of the bottle, uh, and, and it is off and running is that if, if through education and the, the right kinds of access, keeping, open, keeping the tools open source, keeping the frameworks open source, yeah. so that everybody that wants to has an opportunity to, to build without you know, huge financial burden and hopefully not over, over, over regulation. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that uh, that it, there's a real possibility here that it could be democratized. No. Yeah. Well, and absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's on the one hand, it already is being democratized. Open source large language models kind of have the problem that they don't necessarily have the same guardrails as some of the sort of, you know, the uh, the Googles and the open AIs and the Microsoft sort of platforms. But, you know, when we actually have a look at democratization. So, you know, I was speaking about healthcare yesterday. In the healthcare space, we are starting to get to the point where chat GPT-like technologies are being embedded into molecular biomedicine, which means that increasingly we are approaching the point where non-skilled researchers or professionals can create a text prompt to create new drugs. So I simply create a text prompt saying, create a new drug that binds to the site one, two, three on this bacteria and the AI, because it's got access to tens of millions of compounds will go off, run simulations and go, is this the drug that you wanted? So not only are we democratizing access to sort of artificial intelligence and all that that entails, but we're democratizing access to human potential. Yeah, mm -hmm. for better and worse. You know, it's so interesting from my, from my psychological perspective, the questions that you asked before, those three questions. So it's like if everybody's everybody's basic needs are met, right? Because in there, I hope that we're going to meet the needs, you know, of, of everybody's basic needs and everybody's fed and safe. 
and you yep. can do whatever you want and you don't have to, let's say you don't have to work for your basic needs, then what does society look like? What do people do? And that's a really interesting question. What, you know, how do people make meaning? What a relationship like? This is for another podcast, Marco. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I have to actually jump on another podcast, but this is the kind of conversation I don't want to end because yes. it's fascinating. I Like I said, I had many of these and I love all the different perspective. And also we talked about the good, we talk about the bad, we talk about the really good and we talk about the scary bad. But the point is, I think it comes down to get ourselves familiar with this and it's beautiful that Caden did that and that you you know you you know obviously it comes from a you know a, a great mentor i'm assuming <laughs> right there and got inspired and then growing with that and really knowing like i understand enough to have an opinion i feel like too many people now are just said now nah, that's bad now that's going to take job we need to we need to stop it up. Well, how about all the beautiful, fantastic things that, that is already helping us as a humanity? So well, I suggest one meeting like this every month to talk about. I love it, Marco. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to move that fast. <laughs> it went fast. They said 30 minutes. We are at 54. So, yeah. <laughs> but I hope. We'll be on uh, GPT 27 next month. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, Everything will be run by uh, ChatGPT 27. Yeah, That's we'll right. be sure that the summary for this episode it will be actually produced by yeah. ChatGPT for sure. Well, so one of the so ironically one of the U.S. military podcasts actually allegedly, according to them, taps into GPT five, which then has a text to voice synthesizer on top of it, which lets them talk to it like a conversational artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Which you can kind of do already with the app that just came out. Sort of, yeah. Sort so, of. Sort of but, interesting. Yeah. Well, Susan, I, I suggest you to have a really in-depth psychological conversation. It will blow your mind. Yeah. I, I, can, I can tell you that. Yeah. And Mary, thank you so much for pushing to have this conversation. I, I'm not kidding. I think we should have many more with different uh, mentors and uh, so we can hear from people that are more in the arts people that are in photography i mean uh, copyright is a big big issue right uh, you know now nowadays uh, writers in the movie industry are actually striking right for that so different perspectives of course Marco, um, I, we can yep. call it the mentor project ai perspectives or a series you know mentor project ai series so great, right. you started a great uh, a thing here. So this is fabulous. Thank you all for coming. This has been great. Um, Caden, I'm looking forward to reading your book and um, to see what else you do. And these are the only real images in the book. <laughs> Those are real, the author. He's real, he's real. That's it, exactly. That's it. But, uh, yeah, they're, um, yeah, it's, we're, we're already in this kind of crazy world. Yeah. And then, you know, as Marco basically just sort of said, you know, certainly my advice basically is, you know, people need to get out there and just experiment with this stuff mm -hmm. and make up their own mind. Yeah. Because yep. if you use these things in a positive way, then all of a sudden, you're like, lots of people are realizing, they go, hey, this used to take me half an hour. Now it takes me five seconds, you know, yep. whatever it happens to be. So, uh, yeah. Um, by the time we meet again, I will definitely have used at minimum chat GPT. And yeah. Mark will then tell me the other things that I need to go on and use. <laughs> One of the interesting things you could do, Susan, is you ask it to play a role. Right? Yeah. So with chat GPT, try, when you sort of get onto it, try this as a little bit of fun. Say, uh, acting as a psychologist, ask me a set of questions that for example, you know, identifies my personality or whatever it happens to be. So switch it into the role of a psychologist and get it to ask you questions. And a great idea. And I'm going to see how it is. And That's I know there's a lot of controversy in this field, in the psychological field. So of course. Wait, I'm going to do that. I'm definitely going to do that. And I will share with you the next time we meet. All right. 
All right, very good. Well, to everybody listening, we'll put the links to to Matthew uh, website and, uh, and Caden's uh, book. Can you buy Caden's book? book? And of oh, course, yeah. go to charity. So yeah. um, we'll, we'll get that information too. And Mary for for uh, your moonlight information as well. So thank you all. Thank you to the listeners and to the viewers. And Marco, thank you. Thank you, Susan. It's good yeah. to see you again. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Marco. Thank you, Mary. Always great to see Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Bye, Thank everybody. you, everybody. Congratulations. Thank you for listening. This show was brought to you by The Mentor Project. If you enjoyed this segment, there are many ways to thank us. Please consider subscribing to our podcast, making a tax-deductible donation, or becoming directly involved. Subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.mentorproject.org to learn more. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.